Podcast by fans and players of Saga, the skirmish miniatures game from Studio Tomahawk. For our 12th episode of Saga Ohio, I have another special treat. It is my pleasure to introduce one of the great gentlemen of the hobby, Monty Lumen, from the Saga Thursday podcast. Monty has been partnering with Raj on Saga Thursday for over a year now. I'm a big fan of their videos on YouTube, and uh, Monty, thanks for agreeing to be my guest. Yeah, Mike, I'm uh, I'm a big fan of yours, and I'm happy to be on the show. Oh well, thanks. I uh, always kind of wonder when I, you know, if, how many people are out there listening to this. Uh, the podcast hosting service kind of gives you an estimate and everything, and it's fun to look down to see where people are from. I mean, there's people in different countries listening, and so I'm glad to hear that uh, that a star like you is listening to my uh, my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know my buddies and I we love saga content. We listen. It's great to get the perspective, right? You play with your, you know, you play Saga with your local community, and it's great to hear other people's ideas, suggestions, builds, just other people who are passionate about the hobby like you guys. Yeah, and sometimes I I kind of wonder if uh, how much hubris I have here in doing this because I have not been playing Saga that incredibly long, especially compared to you guys. Um, and so sometimes I'm like, uh, are people listening to us and saying, oh, listen to the newbies go on and on about uh, their ideas? <laughs> no, not at all. So You guys are just fine. It's okay. Fine. Well, that's good. So how have things been going up in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area? Have you been able to get in some face-to-face games now that COVID is easing up? Right. We're, we're pretty lucky. Our state, our numbers, the vaccination, everything is in an upward uh, trend. And as a matter of fact, I think the governor just uh, within the last 48 hours lifted like all mandates. So, yes, uh, a few of my buddies and I have been getting out uh, on the kind of early edge of this. Um, for a time, we, you know, when, when that was what we did, we came out to a big gaming space. We would game masked up. We've had some outdoor games. And uh, now the masks are optional. Some people, you know, getting their comfort level, they'll still wear them. And, and when I'm with my vaccinated buddies, we, we game face-to-face, and I can see their faces again. So it's, it's a good time, and we're ready to roll. We're trying to fire up our, our local group and get people out uh, gaming again. Yeah, same with us. Uh, we finally I have a Sunday night gaming group I've been with for like about 30 years and uh, we're, we, did, we did the countdowns. Like once you've had your second vaccination and two weeks since then, you can show up and, uh, and we, would, we would game unmasked. And uh, we're nice. getting ready tonight to do our uh, probably our third, third meetup, our third unmasked meetup. Awesome. Um, yeah, so it's, it is nice. Now, the stores that we game at for our, um, for our Saga game days around here, they're still requiring the masks. Although they did say the last time that at the table it's your choice. Um, but, okay. you know, honestly, I, I kind of forget I'm wearing it, you know, while yeah. I'm, while I'm yeah. playing. Right. So, Same. yeah, so uh, how long have, have you been playing Saga? I mean, were you like one of the first ones, the ink wasn't even dry and you were getting involved <laughs> in it? Not, not quite that early, but it has been a while. But I, I, should, I should differentiate. Um, when I started in Saga in version one, I was a very casual player. I would, someone would hand me a force, I'd mash the figures around, charge wildly, lose most of my games. 
And then there came a time, um, probably after I went to my first Saga event, like like a competitive event, I traveled to Chicago for Adepticon, the U.S. Grand Melee, probably about 2015, and uh, and I. You know, started looking around, and I, I, I started really making an effort to try to think through, like, okay, what am I trying to do? I'd like to actually win some games, and you know, kind of dial it up. So I'd say there was the, you know, and I still can play casual bash 'em up saga, but I can also play uh, a more, let's say, <laughs> a more competitive saga too. So it's it's been quite a while, and it's mm. been a lot of fun. Yeah, we uh, we started a couple of years ago, I think it is now, and. Uh, I would have to say my first experience with Saga was a lot like yours. Uh, one of our local guys was really excited about it, and he would put it on. And I think it was. I think I even played one game of version one before it all switched over, and I was I was kind of clamoring like for, eh, this is a lot of complexity. It's gonna be hard for people to to pick up in a casual game, you know, like on our Sunday night group that I knew wasn't everybody in there wasn't gonna get into it. So I was even saying, you know, they need to take out these battle boards. <laughs> so, <laughs> and of course now, you know, that's one of the things that drives, you know, that draws you to yeah. it is, you know, learning a new battle board and how to maximize it and everything like that. Exactly. Yeah. So um, what about your, your Saga Storm group? Tell, you know, tell uh, our listeners a little bit about the Minneapolis St. Paul uh, Saga group. Right. So, so this is part of like, you know, in the early days of my gaming life, um, gaming was two people meeting up and playing in a basement or, you know, together somewhere, you know, out of the public eye and uh, Saga Storm. I mean, certainly people can still do that. But but in our group, uh, we mostly meet up in some of the nice clubs that we have in the Twin Cities. And um, we have some big events that we run. Um, every fall, we have a thing called Saga Storm, where we have a game day in the park, which in Minnesota seems crazy, but we've done it um, like five years in a row, and every year the weather has um, held out for us. And it's like a whole day of gaming in the park, there's a barbecue, and then the day ends around five o'clock. Um, the teams come inside, and we set up a giant battle board for like, I mean, I think I think the most we've had is probably about, you know, 16 people, eight on a side. Oh, and my gosh. You, you, we just, like, have a big mashup. So that is, like, that's a glorious every-year event. We also try to have a couple um, day events, which are, you know, soccer competitive. But since it's Swiss pairing, if you showed up and you play, you know, two or three games of Saga, you're, you know, within a game or two, you're going to be playing someone who plays two or three games a year. So you're going to find someone like at your skill level. So that's that's kind of fun. And then we also like some of the people in that um, kind of organize, host and run the uh, U.S. Grand Melee uh, down in Chicago each year at Adepticon whenever that's on. So that's that's kind of our group. And um, and I would say just a, a small thing before I jump off the subject. So people kind of meet up informally and then we have our events. And we also have noticed like when we run a campaign that we get the biggest turnout and the most mm -hmm. energy. And so, um, you know, with with COVID having shut us down for a year and us trying to bring guys back, a buddy of mine is organizing a saga Age of Hannibal campaign that is, you know, kind of heavy on narrative. It's got a map. It's got, it just really looks fun. So we're going to be ringing the bell for that coming up and hopefully kind of recreate some of that energy that we've lost in the last year. Oh, that's really cool. I've, I've always loved campaigns. Now, I, I tend to be the one running the campaign and uh, <laughs> don't get to play them that often. 
but uh, I've always liked it. Uh, so is he creating his own own rule set? He's not using one of the the published ones or the old right. Age of the Wolf uh, from version one or anything. Right. We've done Age of the Wolf, and I mean, I think if you've seen it, it's got it's got some issues. Um, we've run that a couple times. I know people have taken that and kind of um, you know kind of cleaned it up and done it to their own effect. Um, I think what he's really doing is just creating a loose framework and a map to show where you're at. And at some point, like sides kick in, and they'll, at some point they'll be like a lead, let's say a general for a side. And so it's the idea is just to create like that framework, that story to drive the games, and and you know kind of post up your stories as as the campaign goes along. And uh, I've looked at it, and I'm just like, wow, that's that's exactly what we needed. You know, something fun, something creative. If you're high energy and you can play a lot of games, that works. And if you can just get in one or two, that works too. So the framework looks great. I, I can't wait to dive in. Oh, yeah. Sounds like a blast. I I was thinking that right before COVID you know, shut us down too. I was like, you know, and I even wrote out some campaign rules and sent them to the my friends to comment on and everything. But we never got into it. And I guess I was also kind of waiting for I, – I figured at some point, we're going to get all the new people that we're going to get interested in saga and then let them all get in, let them all get their armies built and everything. And then we'll kick it in. But, uh, I mean, the, the good news, bad news of it, the good news is we continually recruit people. (laughs) You know, the bad news is it's not, uh, it's not a a finite process. It doesn't seem to have an end process where we're going to say, okay, we got everybody we're going to get now. Let's, let's do a campaign. So that's a good problem to have. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it is. So well done. Well, thanks. Uh, how uh, do you guys, I know you just described what you guys do. So do you have a monthly game day or anything too then? Or is it pretty much the format, the kind of more loose organization you were talking about? Yeah, it's it's pretty loose. Like, um, I mean, I got to say, like, if it weren't for hobby, I probably wouldn't be in Facebook. But we do use the Facebook group. Um, and that's why I stay in Facebook to, like, kind of promote you know, I'll post up and say, Saga Sunday, if you're coming down, say what you're bringing and we'll find you, you know, we'll find you a game, you know, a, a, you know an opponent. Um, so it's pretty informal, but I've actually, I've actually been trying to rethink some of the stuff that we do. And I might move a little closer to your model, Mike. I might oh, okay. just say, uh, we have two official game days, they're standing game days. And, um, you know, whereas like now, I mean, pff, I'm, I'm down there like most Sundays. So every Sunday, maybe if every Sunday isn't a Saga Sunday, maybe they become more special. So I might I might adopt your model. Hmm. Well, and I, th- I think people really look forward to it because, you know, otherwise, if you're expected to be there every single Sunday at the store, you know, you don't think it's any big deal if you miss one or two. But if you got everybody missing one or two and then you get less of the turnout now with a scheduled day, we're kind of like, okay, yeah, it's, it's, uh, we're waiting for the, so next Sunday is the first Sunday of uh, June. And so I'm really looking forward to our saga game day at the guard tower East because, you know, it's, it's the, it's the one a month we do there. And then we do the other one, the third Sunday in Dayton, the Dayton area. So and I've noticed that we've kind of split amongst the two cities in a sense. Some people journey back and forth, the crazies like me, you know, the really, uh, you know, and some people just come to the Dayton one. Some people just come to the Columbus one. So, um, but yeah, I think that, I think that really helps having some sort of structure there and yeah. people can tell their families like, 
uh, okay, honey, we need, I need to have that day off because that's my one once a month day at that store. And it doesn't seem like you're asking as much as like, you know, every single Sunday I'm right. going to be down there at the store. Right. So what types of armies are popular now? You guys doing a lot of Hannibal then, I take it? Yeah, Hannibal is uh, obviously the new shiny. Um, there's quite a few people who, like, I mean, even myself, I had never painted Ancients in 28 millimeter until Age of Hannibal came out. I was always looking for an excuse, uh, but I didn't have rules that people agreed on. I didn't know if, I, you know, big base, uh, armies, impetus, all the other stuff. So, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, for the people who scratch that itch or people who've been waiting, um, that's out. People are painting, and um, you know, and I think the campaign will help pull even more into it. So, oh yeah, yeah so that's definitely. the big one now. But like, I bet, I bet this is some similar between our cities. So, um, Vikings here in Minnesota, you can imagine, Vikings <laughs> are by far the most popular <laughs> faction. Uh, but but after that, it gets kind of interesting. We've got we've got guys who have um, you know a couple of the hardcore guys they they're like gotta have them all like pokemon and and they're mm -hmm. on their way to collecting all of them but uh viking and, and nordic armies lots and lots of that and um over time a little bit it does seem like the the meta changes a little bit and you know and and you know variety is good it's good to try something for a while you run them as vikings then you run them as yom's vikings and then you run them as pagan Rus, and and you know maybe then go on to anglo dane so um there's all the variety you could want yeah, I agree, and I I always kind of recommend that to people too. That you know, you buy a couple of the standard Dark Age looking troops, you could play whatever you want. I mean, my Vikings, yes. I've played, which you know weren't even built for Saga initially. Uh, they were just built for a different set of skirmish rules, and uh, they've been everything. I've played them as Pagan Roos once or twice. Now, I guess I've never played Yom's Vikings myself, but I've played them as Anglo Danes, played them as Vikings, played them as the Norse Gales. You know, so. Yeah, that's, that was definitely a really popular group. We're just now starting to see more and more Crusades armies come in, um, in our group. Uh, there's a Cincinnati group that is playing, uh, I think, like once a month or once every couple weeks, whatever, in one guy's basement. And they're up to like eight people showing up for their games, and they do it as like this big kind of your giant table game that you do as the... You know the uh, you know, final thing for your saga storm. They'll you know throw all those armies on the table, uh, but a few of those people have been coming to the Dayton events. Cause it's a little bit closer to Cincinnati, and so that's amping up the number of Crusades armies we have. Um, but we're just now beginning to see the Hannibal one show up. I think we have a grand total of two armies that have made it onto the tabletop from Hannibal. And a third one that is rumored to show up, and who knows, maybe it'll be here this this next coming Sunday or not. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> well, that's very cool. Very yeah. Cool. So speaking of Crusaders, I see you've uh, see on Saga Thursday you've been playing the Baltic Crusaders a lot. So what what drew you to the Baltic Crusaders? So um, <laughs> uh, I think. I think you may know I am a fairly prolific painter and I spin in and out of warbands pretty quickly. Um, what happened was I had a very large undead project at my elbow as I was coming up to the Christmas break last year. And uh, I, had, I had those undead, um, you know, primed, based, ready to paint, and here they sit, you know, just under 100 figures. 
and I just looked at them and you know in the age of COVID I was like oh my gosh what was I thinking I, I just don't even really have the stomach for this I mean I just I completely lost interest in them I didn't want to paint them and I was complaining to a buddy about like what am I going to do over Christmas break and he said well you could buy my uh Gripping Beast uh Teutons and I was like or Ordenstadt I was like uh I, I looked online I'm like oh those are really nice sculpts those are very very colorful so so that was the extent of my thought and research <laughs> I just didn't want to paint the undead and um, and when I got the figures they are wonderful they're one of the nicer um, war bands I think Gripping Beast has ever done they're really they're really quite lovely and it was an interesting technical challenge like white and black like it's mm -hmm. so simple but painting it so it looks right or looks looks nice is not so easy. But I, I found a little trick um, that contrast apothecary white is such a great wash, like for painting white, that that really kind of saved me on that project. It really made it kind of doable. So that's it. And then now that I'm in, I've actually had to do the work that maybe a normal person would do up front. I've you know started reading about the Baltic Crusades and and all the background to it but i i did start it a little backwards and um you know once i had them painted i have to play them and raj and i have this long-standing campaign where his pagan people are whipping my uh have had been whipping my uh <laughs> crusaders pretty oh hard my gosh yeah. <laughs> i tell you I've, I've felt bad for you listening to the uh listening to the online games it's like oh my gosh Really? Did you just roll that, Monty? I can't believe that. <laughs> yeah, that's part of the that's part of the game. You play enough, and it'll come back. But yeah, I've had I've had some spells. <laughs> I've had some regrets. Well, and I I honestly think just never having played it, never having actually played against it, but having seen other people talk about it, and other people do games online, those pagan peoples are murderous. I mean, oh my gosh, the teleporting from one piece of terrain to another. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean. If if they're rocking the rares, they 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 can overwhelm you because their activations are cheap, and they can like the Age of Crusades is full of shooting, but nobody can shoot quite at the volume that the pagan people can. Yeah, so you kind of ran into a buzzsaw there, agreeing to do that campaign against the pagan <laughs> peoples. Like I said, I have regrets, but it's all fun. <laughs> it's like you, know, hey, I'm going to do a sparring partner thing, and my sparring partner is going to be the heavyweight <laughs> champion of the world. <laughs> So I do have a question for you then. Why do them as the Baltic Crusader list and not the Ordenstad? Did you look at the Ordenstad and not be really attracted yeah. to that? Yeah, and I've, I've tested it. I mean, I will say it's not that there's like, you know, you always have to be careful like in the world of Saga. You try a thing, you do your best, and that's like your build, your ideas, and that was you. And somewhere else can suss out a solution that like you just can't quite find. That's actually a big part of why I love Saga so much, right? But I've kind of, I've checked around, I've chatted it up in some of the forums. We have a Saga Discord channel and kind of that, the short issue, and I, I don't want to say this in any way to discourage someone, because like if you're running Ordenstadt, keep running them. If you want to run them, run them. But, but, but I've run them as Ordenstadt and there's a couple, like there's a couple nice abilities like generating a die by killing some of your figures, a saga die by killing your own figures is awfully handy in the late game. But for the beginning and middle game, there's, there's a, just a few too many dead abilities on the board hmm. and just not quite enough juice. And so I've, I have tried it against Raj. I have tried it in some of my tabletop games and I just think that the Baltic Crusaders um, option on the Crusader board is a more muscular, a more, you know, there's, there's better abilities on that board. 
But I could also one day wake up and, and, you know, come up with a different idea or find a way to make it work. I just haven't done so, so far. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of do the same thing. I'll, I'll look at the, you know, read the section in the in the Age of Crusades book or whichever book, and then I'll look at the board, and I literally will get my cell phone out, and I'll start taking notes, and I'll be like, uh, you know, I have on my cell phone, I have all these different strategies for Moors, strategies for Anglo-Danes or whatever, and you know, this is just looking at the board, then you play it on the tabletop, and I'll have it sitting there on the tabletop and while I'm playing a game. And, of course, not everything works like you thought it was going to. But, uh, yeah, it is interesting how somebody looking at an army will say, oh, that's so underpowered, that's a weak army. Um, and then somebody else will pick it up and, you know, rack up the victories with it. So, yep. yeah. So, um Let's talk about your Baltic Crusaders and what's what have you after after some trial and error and uh, what what do you do for your build for the Baltic Crusaders? Right, so it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting. Um, the build I've kind of landed on. Um, not that you have to vet your builds, but but based on the figures, right? The gripping beats beast uh, box and and everything else. It is uh, my Baltic Crusaders are Hearthguard heavy for better or for worse. I mean, the board abilities, if you don't have pilgrims on it, and you won't as the as the Baltic Crusader, um, are very Hearthguard heavy, which means you live and die by those guys. So I painted up uh, 12 mounted and 12 foot. Um, that's actually, no, 16 mounted, 16 foot, or maybe it's 12. Well, it's some combination, because I can always put some on horse and some on foot. Right. And then as much as this sounds like too much, um, I have two points of shooting levy. Like, that's the, that's the threat. And um, and and I had heard from someone who is a uh, has been a longtime tournament player in Germany. Um, he goes by like the moniker Kingmaker, and his tournament build for the Baltic Crusaders, if anyone's interested, is exactly that: two points of uh, shooting levy, and then four points of heart guard. That I think he usually keeps his on foot, uh, just because they're a tougher target to shoot down and kill. So mm -hmm. that's that's what I've got. That's what I take to the tabletop, and that's what I've been using in most of my games with Raj in our ongoing campaign. Okay. All right. So so how do you use them? I mean, the four points of Hearthguard. First of all, do you normally use them in the same combination of units, or do you adapt it per the terrain? Or um, right. I know you said you can go either mounted or foot, but uh, do you have some some ideas on how you deploy that army, that build? Right. I think they punch hard enough that I keep the hearth guard in four packs. I know I have I have buddies who think that's not a great idea. They'd like to they're not too worried about saga dice. They'd like the muscle of putting more together. But but you know, for now right now in my early going, I'm fine with having in four packs. That so far hasn't won or lost me the game. The fact that they can have heavy weapon hearth guard, I'm normally not a fan of heavy weapon hearth guard. But I got that painted up, and I tend to use it, especially if you're going to play out of the Book of Battles. Um, quite a few of those games have you either dealing with, like, supply wagons or traveling across the table, or you have to crack open objectives. And um, heavy weapons, of course, with their plus one, they're a key unit for breaking open objectives, taking objectives, um, or even hitting a unit that's holding an objective. So, um, so even though I don't want an eight pack of heavy weapon hearth guard, a four pack in my pocket that I use for specific tasks is really ideal. And if I need something speedy, I can mount up a unit. If I'm facing, say, the pagan people, no one is going to be on a horse. Everyone's mm -hmm. going to be a foot slogger just to try to keep from being shot down. Yeah, I was I was curious about that. What the draw of 
uh, of heavy weapons are. I hadn't thought about the objective thing because uh, one of our players plays Norse Gales, and of course you can have heavy weapons there if you want. And I told him, I said, you know, I personally don't use them and like them. I said, but if you're facing like an all Hearthguard army, you essentially turn their army into warriors, you know, at least defensively by by wearing by doing that heavy weapons. So now, obviously, you're also down one too, but. So yeah, but I hadn't thought about it. That's a that's a great idea for you know beating up those objective markers and everything. That's a it is a good good thing to do. Now, do you rush forward with the uh, with your little four packs of Hearthguard, or do you kind of um, do the slow and steady advance? Do you have like a certain set of tactics that you do with this army? Right. Um. So it gets this gets so um <laughs> this gets so weedy based on based on whether you're at a book of battles. I will say. Um, I, I play less and less um, Clash of Warlords because um, the issue for us is that, like, my buddies who've played a lot of Clash of Warlords, everyone's so cagey, you know, everyone's slow to commit. They want, you know, it's like, you know, they're, and, you know, this can sometimes happen, say, in a competitive game, like if you're at an event where Clash of Warlords, two KG veterans, you know, each one kind of stands back and says, you know, come at me, bro, and then nothing happens. So mm -hmm. the, uh, the Book of Battles, like they really, they really do a great job in those scenarios of forcing you to get up and move. And in a lot of scenarios, they make you get up and move and try to do multiple things. And your Saga dice are so scarce. You're like trying to protect an objective. You're trying to secure an objective. You're trying to destroy the enemy's army. You're trying to shoot. So I think my general principle would be that in my standard build, like sneak one of the levy units up, say behind a, behind a swamp, so someone can't put a straight line charge on them, and just start annoying your opponent by shooting them. And then the second unit, you know, bring them up, start doubling the shooting. And then, um, you know, I'm not rushing the foot or, or the mounted hearth guard up. I, I really don't want to leave hearth guard up with a fatigue. That means they're going to get a a charge probably unless I can clear that fatigue uh, somehow um, so no we're gonna we're gonna just kind of slow and steady like a bow constrictor create difficulties with our shooting look for opportunities and and really like for me I'm always especially if I'm playing serious saga I'm always looking at like what my bot buddy has left up on his board and that mm -hmm. really helps frame what I'm going to do in my turn right yeah I always try to tell people to have your opponent's battle board sitting out there next to you so you can look at everything they do as they put it on there. And I, I actually literally confirm, okay, you've got something on this, 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 and this, right? Yep. And I'm like, yep, you know, and I'm like, okay, cool. And uh, so so obviously everything's very situational in doing this, but you're not I've, – I've seen people who do the, I'm going to rush my hearth guard across the table, and I don't care if I'm coming in with fatigue. Like Viking players do that because they have so many ways of getting <laughs> – Right. Dishing fatigue. But, uh, okay, that's interesting. Now – terrain wise can you usually get two pieces of terrain on the board for, for you to hide your levy in or is one usually stuck out in the open and the other one right. hiding in the terrain right mike and this is such an interesting like topic like the, the the terrain game like just it's it's actually so important and sometimes it just goes by so fast and i do try to help our new players like explain just how important it is so you're right um i I, I, it's interesting. I've heard this story even from the Saga World Cup that people were saying, like, here it is. All the best tournament players from the world are competing with each other. And a standard thing was everyone is dropping a rocky ground in their back line and then putting their levy in there. And you absolutely can do that. You know, again, depending on the scenario, maybe that's helpful. Maybe that's not quite helpful. 
but I have gotten away from that lately and what I tend to do is um, I, I'm okay with if my levy gets charged for one thing, um, if I happen to get a rare on this board, I have an amazing reroll any defensive dice I wish and levy yes. to get popped. And not only that, like when levy get popped, they have a way of just surviving. They're very survivable. So if someone sends, you know, sends a counter strike against my levy and hits them, in my turn, I should be able to disappear that unit. I should be able to take it out. And so my levy did its job. It pulled them in. It engaged them, and it was shooting them on the way in. So I don't. I tend to not put my levy into terrain because when you put them into terrain, you now have your 12-inch field of fire everywhere around, and your opponent, if they have a choice, are g they're going to take the battle to just outside of that. They're going to like move to the left. They're going to move to the right, unless there's some reason that they have to walk into that field of fire. They they very well could take the battle somewhere else, and then you find you have to commit a die to drag the levy out of uneven terrain, which means they move four inches. So I tend to not put my levy into terrain, but I do also like to put swamps like up in front towards the middle and then move my levy tuck them in right behind the swamp not in it so that nobody can lay a straight line charge on them and especially if i have knights to the left and right of them then they're in their own little castle there Ooh, that's a good idea i hadn't thought about that i i've seen people do that you know i'm, I'm going to hide behind a swamp you know kind of uh a hundred years war thing you know the english longbowman hiding at the edge of the uh <laughs> the uh swampy ground and come on right. across here and we're going to shoot you as you're going through it but uh exactly. protecting their flanks with your knight units is a good way to keep them survive you know surviving so that's good i like that yeah. that's uh it keeps them it keeps them maneuverable yeah so you started to talk a little bit about the battle board so so which battle board abilities do you like to use uh what's kind of your your plan of action with your uh with your army yeah, so um, there's a few on here that are like, you know, top of the charts, right? Um, so if you're going to run Baltic Crusaders, well, yeah, if you're going to run Baltic Crusaders, there is one in here, especially paired with your levy, and let's say especially paired with your crossbow levy. Um, the ability is called Fine Chinks in Their Armor, Melee or Shooting. You gain four attack dice, six if you use a rare. Um, the downside is you reroll each attack dice, which scores a six. However, what I would say is if you're shooting people with your crossbow with your plus one, then that would mean if you rolled fives plus your mm -hmm. one for your crossbow, that's a six. So you're rerolling that, but when you do your rerolls, your plus ones are just so powerful. I would say, like, if you're attacking a hearth guard unit in melee, you probably don't want to use chinks in their armor for shooting adding four to six dice like you could you could literally turn around and in the right circumstance be shooting you know six uh six dice off your crossbow six plus or you know from the rare here re-rolling six you know people people start turning white when you put 12 shots with a crossbow on their mounted hearth guard or any hearth guard at all that's a that's a pretty significant threat so um that's a super good one um, another one I would pitch in is one that since you're fighting in, in the Age of Crusades and there's, there's um, so much shooting and you're hearth guard and, and shooting can be very streaky, if you're facing a very shooting shooting army then you probably want to put up Happy or the Humble in the Orders phase each turn because what it says is if you have no pilgrims, all your hearth guard increase their armor by one. So let's say they're, they're on foot, they're going to go from fives to sixes and they gain resilience one until the start of your next turn against shooting attacks only. So they almost become bulletproof. Now, it is a big 
dice sink it's a lot of dice to invest but on the other hand if you're facing say the Spanish you're facing um, the pagan peoples and you're trying to survive all of their shooting I mean that's probably your best bet right there yeah I saw that and, and I could definitely see it being useful for the foot hearth guard but I don't I don't know if I would do it with a mounted hearth guard unit especially a small one because um, what's going to happen is you're going to accumulate those fatigue pretty quickly and then somebody's going to be able to charge you and probably make themselves, you know, unhittable, if, especially if they can exhaust you. Um, so I was just wondering if, have you ever run into a situation where that, you've just got too many fatigue on this unit now and it's hard to use the unit because you use the happy or the humble, the resilience thing on it, or is that not, not really an issue you've run into? Yeah, yeah. So, so, huh. The, most of my games have been um, in that campaign with Raj against this pagan people, and it's kind of an interesting um, back and forth. Um, when I use it, you know, he can shoot me up, and and then I'm, you know, then I'm harder to hit. I do have that resilience. Um, you do have, like, in your next turn, assuming you don't get beat up on on charges in your turn, you do have the Peasants' Crusade, which lets you. Um, it is two dice, unfortunately, but it it does in your turn let you uh, use an activation. Uh, to sweep two fatigues from your warlord and one from each your hearthguard unit. So they do have a little bit of fatigue management, and I would say if they were going to come across the table and, and hammer like my hearthguard with the fatigue, and, and I do agree, it's, it's better to do an all-foot build if you're facing that kind of shooting, but if they're going to come and get my hearthguard, well then they should be right within the shooting zone of one or both of my levy, they should be within charge zone. So there's a little bit of, you know, there's a little bit of back and forth tension. Um, the crossbower and the bow are keeping them honest, and my other non-fatigue units might make them honest. But what I would worry about is that if I if I raise my mounted hearth guard with this ability, they go from a four to a five, and it's not it's not hard to roll fives and sixes when you're shooting at mounted hearth guard. Right. I wouldn't consider it yeah. a very good bump there for right. them. I definitely right. say. Yeah, having to hit somebody on sixes is definitely worthwhile. That's that's yep. a, that's a good ability, um, and yeah, I, I guess I hadn't thought about the you're playing the happy or the humble on one turn, and on the following turn you're playing peasants crusade to to as you said sweep the fatigue. So that is a nice ability because then you can still rest. You can right. so you can take up to two off of there. So as long as Bingo. your opponent doesn't you know jump in and take advantage of it before you get a chance to play the peasants crusade, then you should be pretty good with that. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, so uh, you're going, you know, I agree with you on the fine chinks in their armor. I, to me, honestly, I think that's one of the nicest abilities on any board. I mean, really, honestly, a common dice for four attack dice, that's that's mm -hmm. just, you know, unheard of. You know, and uh, six if you use the rare, if you, you, know, you get that lucky turn when you roll three rare and you're like, okay, I'm going to get it up to six now. So yeah, I definitely think that's one of the uh, one of the really tough abilities on this board. What about the rest of the board? Are there some that you never use, or some that are more situational? Right. Um, so there's a there's a, a couple that I one that I've never used and one that I don't use very often. Set an example. Like seems intriguing, right? Set an example melee ability. Choose one or two units with an M of your unit. If you win the melee, each of the other units gets three bonus attack dice and three bonus defense dice. During the melee, they participate in this turn. So, you know, these kinds of situational ones, first of all, that, that's to really make that sing. You know, you're, you're doing something situational. You spend a saga die to hope that you win the melee. 
And we know how, like, how dicey that can be <laughs> even when you stack your abilities, right? And then secondly, to really make it sing, like, you're you, st you all have to be set up tight. You all have to have a charge target. And then the payoff is it's not bad, but it's just not. I, I just always find somewhere else to put a die. I just do. Um, Jericho is not bad, but it is very situational, too. You get two attack dice for an uncommon. You're like, eh, that's really not much. It is melee or shooting, but it does give you two additional attack dice if the enemy's unit uh, armor is four or higher. So it really depends on me being able to find an armor five target. And um, that actually can be kind of hard. Like if I'm running against the pagan people, I won't find anything that's higher than four. So I, I just never use it. Um, I do want to sneak in one thing. This is the kind of play that I, I kind of love, like where you can kind of do things during your opponent's turn. So one other thing I really like using on this uh, Baltic Crusader board is God's Host. Um, God's Host is an activation reaction, and it's uh, triggered after an enemy unit finishes resolving their activation, which activation could be anything, could be arrest, shoot, move. Um, so after they've moved or done one thing, you can react with a Hearthguard unit. It says choose a unit of Hearthguard and activate it to rest or move. Now that's pretty handy, right? Like mm -hmm. if, I had a, if I had a fatigue, they probably would open with a charge on that unit and not let me clear that fatigue with God's host. So what I end up using it for is if, I, if I'm in a bit of a jam and there's like multiple targets for my opponent maybe i pull back one of the units in the jam but i also like to use it especially with my foot heart guard like to create um you know a double move i move in my turn and then he does a thing and then in my turn towards the end of his turn right i don't want to just throw myself um you know before he does all his actions maybe towards the end of his turn i sneak a unit up to get ready for a charge in my turn or i sneak a unit up to challenge an objective or the supply wagon or something it's just handy to be able to like while they're activating just pause them and go wait uh, i'm going to play god's host and then move a unit they just kind of look they're like okay what's coming so that's that's an awfully handy ability for a common yeah, I was going to say, for a Comet, it's, it's pretty good because it's not the, the spoiling attack that you can where you're going to charge somebody on your opponent's turn. Right. I think the Welsh have one of those called Our yes. Land that <laughs> I've used that uh, many people have been surprised by that. They're like, they're moving up to, to, to charge my mounted or something on their turn or get ready to shoot my mounted. They'll move their archers to within within long the gate okay now i'm going to shoot you not yet i'm going to play our <laughs> land and, <laughs> and those archers so are out in the open now <laughs> we're charging them <laughs> so exactly. well that's a good use for that i hadn't thought about that and and especially you could if somebody is getting ready to charge your your unit your hearth guard unit you know you could and they they rest them first to, to get that fatigue off of them it's like okay well yeah. i'm going to rest too now with god's host so yep. yeah i can see that one that's that's pretty good and, and I agree with you on Jericho. Gain two attack dice seems so small when you got that fine chinks in the armor sitting up there with it starts at a base four. But you could pile it all together. I mean, literally, if somebody presents you a fat, juicy, you know, eight man or eight man hearth guard unit for a target with your crossbow, you oh, got yeah. your six base dice. You get six more from fine chinks in the armor if you get used to rare. Two more from Jericho. I mean, that, that could ruin somebody's day with 14 attack dice at plus one. Right, I, I, except that I, I would, with the two levy, I would probably spread it out, because um, mm -hmm. if my base is six, 
Oh yeah. The cap is I can only yeah, do twelve, which is still right. amazingly juicy. Right. And, but yeah, yeah. Um, it's just you know I would say so if you're running the Baltic Crusaders, Jericho is an uncommon, and you'll find like your best abilities. You will need um, other than chinks in your armor. You're gonna you're gonna need like Happy of the Humble. You need an uncommon. Um, Peasants Crusade is uh, to sweep fatigue is an uncommon. So when you have those turns where you throw all helmets, I kind of sigh and then my buddy chuckles because he knows yeah. it's not going to, it's like, okay, I mean, you know, it's not the end of the world, but you know, you didn't get any of your uh, juicy uncommons. What are you going to do? Right. Yeah. When I was playing my Scots, it was the same way. There's, as I call it, the snakes and chickens. And uh, <laughs> if it's like, oh, I got all snakes, no chickens. I need to have both snakes and chickens. Or I got all chickens and no snakes. <laughs> so, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So, all right. So any other tactics uh, for, for these? Uh, what, what do you do for terrain for, for the Baltic shares? Obviously, once again, situational who your opponent is. But is there a plan you have in place for, for the Baltic Crusaders terrain? Right, right. So, um, so I don't really need terrain. I mean, I ideally would like at least one marsh swamp out there to kind of uh, break a straight line charge on one of my two levy units, let's say. Um, so I might actually like, um, in a lot of my games, I look at my buddy, what he's bringing, and I have some ideas of things they like. Um, it's pretty common, I think, like I said, that uh, a lot of people, if they have, especially if they have one levy shooting, they're gonna wanna build a castle in the middle of the board. So what I actually do is I would use, if I'm player one, I'll use my terrain preemptively. So I'll choose the biggest hill I can, just an ordinary hill, and I'll drop it right in the middle of their back line so that they can't make their castle in the middle. They can make their castle to the left, they can make it mm -hmm. to the right, and then if, if there's no other reason to go into that left or right that they set up, that's gonna be a field that I'm gonna ignore. I'm gonna work around that. And if they want their levy to be in the game, they're gonna have to drag him out of terrain and, and you know, use a saga die to activate him, move him and, and get him in the game. So so that's really would be my two plays as player one. Would be a big hill in the back of their line and maybe a swamp to kind of create a, a little channel to protect one of my levy units. Hmm, that's good. I, I, I generally tend to with my moors to throw a big gentle hill, you know, no, no, you know, doesn't slow you down or anything kind of as close to the center of the board as I can. So they can't do the, I've got some ruins or I got a, uh, you know, a rough <laughs> right. ground right dead center of the, of the board. And I've got a, an inch away from each or a foot away from each one. So you're almost controlling the whole battlefield. So yeah, I, I do the same kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, I think it'd be fun to kind of to to do this uh, the thing. Well, okay, now you've set up your army. You've set up the Baltic Crusaders for us, and then I'll sit back and try to figure out how to attack that. Uh, maybe we can kind of you know, kind of you know talk about how this would come out. So yeah. so you've set it up. You've got four. Now let's say you're facing my moors. Okay. Uh, you've, you've probably seen how I run my moors where yes. I have two units of six man mounted hearth guard with javelins. I got one levy bow and I got two eight man foot warrior, you know, no special weapons with, do I count as a very shooty army? How would you do your four hearth guard against me? Yeah, I think you do count as very shooty. I mean, I, um, you have a, a, a very good system, your hearth guard pop out shoot six, your other unit pops out, shoot six. Um, your levy are shooting um, six, 
So, I mm -hmm. mean, that's potentially 18 shots you can put down without a lot of effort in a turn. So I really, like knowing that, um, I would stick to my terrain game where I don't want to give you a castle in the middle of the field. And I know you want the middle of the field to be open, and I'm okay with that. So my, my counter would be, I'm going to put all my hearth guard on, well, hmm. I was going to say all on foot, but I might, might want one ranged unit so that I could um, maybe sneak in a god's host and uh, put put my uh, knights into melee against one of your hearth guard packs. Because really, that's that to me is the key. Anyone who's playing your particular build, you want to shut down, deal with, trade troops to take that hearth guard down. Because if, if I'm fighting, you know, after, after the dust settles, if I'm fighting two reduced hearth guard packs, plus levy, plus two units of uh, foot warriors, I can deal with that. But I don't love Torrent of Iron. Torrent of Iron can blow up any one unit immediately. And uh, so, so that's actually maybe one of the benefits of being on foot. Um, it's not going to save me per se, but when you come in, I can at least close ranks and deny you that plus one for your Javelin Hearthguard when you come in and just mix it up. Right, so that, yeah. would, that would be my starting thoughts. I don't think I would have a Hearthguard foot unit with heavy weapons unless it was something for the objective. Um, I don't think that's going to help me because really what I need to do is I need to deal with your uh, two six-packs of Hearthguard. Right, yeah. And they, those are my strike force. They are, they are the main attack force, and they're combination acting. Ideally, I want to get all three of those shooty units at the same target. Um, so what I would do to, to face your army is I would see where, where you're thrusting forward your glass jaw, you know, and who, who counts as a glass jaw. Well, obviously, if, if, you're, if any of your uh, crossbow units are out there where, you know, I can get at them, you know, which could be a long plus a short with my horses and the grab, um, I would probably go after them. But even more so, if you've got your mount, if you've mounted up one of your earth guard and they're not hidden back behind your lines i think that would be my first my first one i would go for because as we all know armor four small <laughs> unit it's probably going to disappear against against 18 attack dice um but uh i yeah my first shot would probably be to go after those crossbow um i would probably try to go up there get my get my archers within range have them shoot um and if i can have them shoot again all the more power to it. Yep. Then I would send one of the guys, one of the, the mounted hearth guard units up to throw at them. Uh, and then it would depend on where you are, you know, how many you have left at that point. If I think I can take them out, you know, I mean, 12, as you said, a, a, a levy unit is very survivable. You know, it's strength in numbers, you know, kind of thing. I would probably send, uh, send a unit in to charge them to try to take the rest of them out. Um, and then I would do my perseverance and pull everybody back. You know, um, obviously you can, if I charge into combat, you can, you can slow down one of my units to a short. Right. Um, but assuming that you've hidden away your mounted unit then, or you don't have one, then I'm probably not in as big of trouble uh, from you, you know, countercharging, so to speak. Um, but let's say that you, you were able to get a couple places where I just can't get at those crossbowmen. Um, then what I would probably do is take one of those little four-man units and have everybody try to shoot at them. Because we've all been there where, you know, just an ordinary unit levy shoots your four-pack of a hearth guard, yep. and after some good rolling on their part and bad rolling on saves on your part, you know, they're half shot up anyway. 
Um, I thought about your your um, your peasants Christian. I mean, your happy are the humble, where you get resilience. But then I then I heard the famous uh, phrase from Admiral Akbar, it's a trap, you know, that <laughs> by doing resilience, you know, with those three shots that I got, that if at any point before I've activated that, that second hearth guard, you have two fatigue on you from, you know, shots that you've canceled off with resilience, yep. well, then you're vulnerable to my torrent of iron charge. Because the thing I like the most about the torrent of iron charge is it inflicts a fatigue on you. So it takes yep. a double fatigue unit to exhausted, and then I immediately use two of those fatigue to raise my, my armor to six so you can't hit me. Uh, so it's a freebie charge with a six-man, you know, a 12-attack dice. And, you know, assuming I'm able to also queue up uh, wholehearted, that could be you know, six more attack dice that I got from that, you know, two for each of your, each of your fatigue. So, you know... I agree that that your your uh, foot hearth guard are a very tough target with that six, but with 18 attack dice coming in, um, I'm thinking that in most cases I'm going to get a chance to to throw you know to, to to get a second fatigue on you. Now you could take casualties instead, but then it's kind of what I wanted to do anyway, which was exactly. which was kill them. So what right. do you think about that? What's your first reaction to to that initial thought on strategy? Yeah, so um, so I think the key you have um, that is so powerful is you're kind of coming in waves, right? Like, it, like if you did one tooled up thing, and it's not hard, like in a game, for me to roll a rare and then queue up without fear of being wounded, which is pretty, um, it's a melee ability, it's re-roll any defensive dice. So what happens is, the more hits that I'm eating, the more powerful that rare is. So like, you know, I sometimes use that to keep my levy in the game. If I was gonna use it to try to keep this four pack of Hearthguard in the game with close ranks, it might help, but here's the real issue. Um, they have to get to that point, right? They have to get to the point of trying to roll those four, fives, and sixes. You, you moved up, you did a shot, I ate some fatigue, then you got another shot, I maybe was exhausted, I may have even lost a figure depending on how my saves roll, and then you come in. So the fact that you're coming in waves kind of stomps down some of my nice board plays. So, so I think, like, just thinking this out loud, right, is I'm going to just write that unit off. That's surely going to be lost. And if I didn't put my troops out quite right, um, which is easy to do as you're playing the game, um, he's probably going to blow up and throw a fatigue here and maybe one over there if I wasn't very careful. So my real thought is that at this point, um, when we did our thing, you came in with one fatigue. If I didn't think I could stay alive, I probably wouldn't spend it. So after the combat is gone and my unit is broken, your six-pack of hearth guard should be sitting in my back line with two fatigue. And depending on how your dice are played, I should be able to short move you twice or cancel one activation and then be able to take your six pack. That's, that's the only, like Torrent is gonna absolutely blow up whatever you hit. So my, my counterplay is, okay, that unit's lost. All I'm trying to do is get ready to take your unit back in your turn. But you still have another one. You still have another one queued up back there for like, you know, future turns. Right. Yeah. And actually, that's the exact tactic that Jason uh, used against me when I was thought I was just going to chew up his his poor little four man uh, mounted hearth guard uh, Roman uh, cavalry unit. 
and I thought for sure that, uh, that you know, this is going to, I thought I'd get him on the, on the shooting, but, you know, he rolled really good saves, and plus they got, they have good, the Romans have great defensive abilities too, kind of like you guys do with the re-rolling defense dice, and so I got impatient and I charged in, thinking for sure he was going to use that fatigue on me, you know, and he, and he didn't, so I've got kind of a little note in my, in my thing to, if, you know, if possible, I'm going to keep my warlord's determination we obey uh, in kind of in reserve so that doesn't happen to me again. So let's say that I do that. You don't use my fatigue. I've got two fatigue on me. I say, okay, I'm, you know, perseverance, we're going to move him back. And you say, uh-uh, we're canceling that action. Well, then I can use a determination to move my warlord, you know, to just barely within range of, of that hearthguard unit, then use the we obey to now clear him back again if I need to, if I have those dice. You know, it's always a ton of ifs when we're, when you're, when we're spitballing it like this. Right, but, right. Uh, yeah, that that is a great tactic and one that caught me by surprise, caught me flat-footed in one of my recent games. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad you brought up the whole uh, without fear of being wounded because I would also be very focused in on your blessings of the righteous. Um I would never charge that Crusader unit if you still had that queue, or I think that crossbow unit if you still had that queued up. Um, I would because that would be stupid. I would go in there, I'd roll 12 attack dice plus maybe, and I would cause all of three casualties on a levy unit. That would just I've been down that path before when fighting Crusaders. <laughs> so that's a really a really tough defensive ability that you guys have. Oh, oh, right. Um, and if I can do a real reset, this board, um, Mike, this board is a little wonky. It's I can't off the top of my head think of any other one because what they're doing is they're pushing two completely different builds through one board. So since my um, since my Baltic Crusaders, they have levy, they have no pilgrims. Oh, that's right. And yeah, the, yeah. And the top level doesn't work, and so you're okay to charge levies because I would blessing of the righteous is really it says uh, you know otherwise being my build the baltics um you may re-roll the number of defensive dice equal to your unit's armor so it's great with hearthguard and less so with levy not terrible but you know their armor if they're not fatigued is going to be three so i get three re-rolls not the end That's, of the world but it's also yeah. uncommon so it's a little spendy for me right especially as you pointed out that you're going to need the uh, uncommons and with two two <laughs> levy units you're going to need the uncommons even I'm more gonna need, yeah i'm going to need i'm going to need some wheel bays for sure yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be hoping for those uh, two two Templars riding on the horseback <laughs> to come up as often as possible. So, so yeah, you're without fear of being wounded is the big one I would have to keep an eye on um, when I go when I decide to to do my torn of iron because that would be, you know, really upsetting to roll you know anywhere from 12 to 18 attack dice and see you re-roll all of you know getting two shots at every save. Um, Especially if I've closed ranks, because that right. sort of increases your chances. Oh yeah, and that, by in that case, you should end up pretty, pretty good. Still, I mean, there's always bad rolls, but uh, right. you would end up right. pretty good with there. So, and I was trying to figure out how I would defend against you know you coming after me. I mean, because you know my tactics. You know, we we hide. We do historically we hide behind our infantry battle lines, and I would keep my my moors sheltered behind them because the the rule is you know to, to to avoid your double move with your mounteds to get to to counter charge and basically to take them out because they're vulnerable on your turn you know they right. that armor four is not that good 
And you know, whenever my Moors get, you know, my Moorish Hearthguard get charged, it's because I did something wrong. They should, they should never have to eat a charge uh, <laughs> if I'm doing it right. And so I would kind of hide them back there, and then you would have to spend a couple moves. And who knows, you might even have to, I, I might even be able to slow you down with fatigues, you know, using your fatigues to, to keep you from charging them. Um, I would also not walk into the buzzsaw, the buzzsaw of two, you know, coordinated uh, crossbow units, and I would probably try to move the battlefield to the other side of the battlefield um, so that I didn't have to worry about them. Because once again, you're going to have to to move them into the where I'm going and doing my attack. You're going to have to spend more uncommons to move them, yeah. or you know, more we obeys. Um, so. I would, like I said, I would probably, probably, you know, basically go depending on how you're coming at me. You know, I would either be targeting one of those crossbow units in the open or just trying to overwhelm with shooting one of those four packs of Hearthguard and pull back and do it on a different one the next turn and pull back and do it on a different one next turn, forcing you to, to start doing the double moves. And once you start doing the double moves, you know, you're going to end up with uh, probably having some fatigue left over and giving me a chance to, you know, play a torrent of iron and, you know, without fear, you know, for me, without fear of being wounded because <laughs> because you're going to be exhausted. So, <laughs> exactly. but, uh, so I any other talks about how, how you think this matchup would play out between the, the Moors and the Baltic Crusaders? Right, so so um, I have to tell you, I snuck in a game. Uh, I played the Moors this last week uh, down at the club uh, against my buddies uh, Byzantines, and I got to tell you, I used to play the Moors before the FAQ, and then um, I had an offer and I sold them off, so I never really got a look at them after the FAQ. And I mean, you know, online, the guys who ran them before the FAQ, they were they were deeply unhappy. And, you know, some of them will say, you know, whatever. They're, they're pretty down on them. Holy cow, I was very impressed. And also, because they did change the board, it made me play the Moors a little differently than I had, say, a couple years ago. And so I, I have, like, a lot of respect. Like, looking across that table, I would definitely look at what you have queued. Um, I, I think, like, to, to beat you, like, in let's just call it, let's make it simple, let's make a clash of warlords. I think I first have to take your levy shooting down, and I might try to do it by um, at least getting one crossbow and maybe my second crossbow in range and I'm happy for you to shoot at them I'm happy for them to put some javelins on them L lead with my crossbow if they have to eat a charge that's fine I should be able to get whatever unit came in on the bounce back but I would I would probably try to dial up the pressure by taking away your levy screen I'd, I'd concentrate on them because your defensive plays for your foot uh, warriors are fabulous like if you mm -hmm. close ranks and you play forest of spears three defensive dice you're going to just flatten out anything i try to do if you happen to also have inspiration cued and you're re-rolling ones or even worse if you have a rare there let's not let's not imagine that but i mean they can just really take a lot of damage so so the weakest unit if i can't get a clean double charge on you is is to just really try to beat up that levy unit try to play the shooting game try to try to see who makes their saves and where the pressure goes and if i can take them down now i probably have a better chance of maybe sneaking in a double charge maybe in one of the turns with god's host i can sneak up 
um, let's say my four pack amounted knights um, on God's host during my turn to get him in there for a decent amount. I really don't like going in with a fatigue. You know, to me, that's kind of a reach unless I can super power that up. I don't like going in with a fatigue because what is it that you're going to do when I come in? You're going to raise your armor to a five. And mm -hmm. if I dice badly and you make your saves, um, we've seen this how many times, you'll be sitting there. Uh, maybe you've lost no one, maybe you've lost one figure, and then I'm sitting there, and in your turn, you're going to crack your knuckles, and you're going to take the four-pack away, and I accomplish nothing, you know, for my turn. So so I really, I, I don't like going in with a fatigue on a charge, so I really would try to, I would try to move forward in such a way that I could, you know, put some hurt or maybe even threaten to get some shots on your on your moors and it would be hard to say because like you said like this game can be so streaky in my game against my buddies byzantines who can just shoot um i took my moorish archers i pushed them up behind a swamp and they ate like probably 30 shots over the course of the game and at the end of the game there were four of them still left because i was rolling my saves and i pushed them up and into the swamp and and was up on two objectives so they were like you know levy the levy were the hero because i managed to make my saves you never know you never know how it's going to go you kind of theor theory craft it and then you get to the table and then your dice tell the story yeah i agree definitely I, there's been times where my uh my warrior spears have been in, been a wall and they've stood like a wall against charge after charge then there's been other games where they can't seem to make those you know 50 percent saves after they close <laughs> ranks and you know and they just start getting eaten up i mean the last game i played against it was actually against baltic crusaders um one unit of one eight-man unit of warriors came across and was slapping around both of my my uh, eight-man you know, warriors, and I was like, "What the heck? Right. I'm like, how is happen. this happening?" You know, but uh, so I, the guys have have been um, you know kind of crying about my more string of success over here locally. So, what other advice would you give them? So, I've kind of told people this is how I would attack Monty's uh, Baltic Crusaders. What would you do against my typical Moor battle board, you know, the, the, the build that I told you before, and my typical tactics of rushing out, you know, getting all three units charging at that, you know, or shooting at, at them, then rushing back, and then from time to time, you know, throwing in the Torrent of Iron. Now, obviously, if you're the Vikings, you're going to play Odin, so I'm just going to be charging you instead. But right. what, what else to, to, how do you crack uh, the Moors open and uh, make them into an easier, easier target? Right. Well, I think I think one thing is experience, right? Like the first time you see a thing, you get caught out. The second time you're like, okay, you know, you've kind of learned better. I, I think you have a, a very good build. I mean, by the way, they're also beautiful. Um, that's oh, thank you. That's bonus points. Um, but I think I think you just like, you know, this is part of Saga is you try different things. And, and most importantly, don't be discouraged. Like, like if you don't get the moors in this, maybe you come back and like you say, Mike, would you like to try and we're going to play this, we're going to play an objective-based one, which means that you need to be a little more active. It kind of pulls you into like, maybe you, know, you, you can't just have them kind of shield back. Maybe they need to get out there. They need to push on an objective. They need to push on the wagon. They need to do something. So, you know, it's okay to try uh, different scenarios to just see maybe you guys didn't, maybe your war band didn't match up well against them in this one, try that one. I would also throw some specific thoughts, like having, you know, gotten all of one game in. But I would say those hearth guard, you know, kind of tucked back. If you, if you and your warband can field javelin armed 
mounted warriors, I think that's your magic missile. Um, this is this is the counterpoint to my like trying not to charge in with with a fatigue. Um, if you yourself are running moors, I would get a six pack of javelin armed uh, warriors, have them mounted up, and you know get a double charge in. And you're like, well, wait a minute, you're going to come in with a fatigue. That is true. But Javelin Armed is going to be a plus one, so the plus one negates your fatigue. It's basically a trade. And so just, you know, put, a, put whatever dice you can in and trade, like, your little magic missile unit um, for taking out some Hearthguard that are armor four. So um, shooting, I think, is their friend. The problem is you keep, you know, you keep pulling them back, so maybe they need to keep pushing forward. But, um, but I would bet if they played, like, if they played Mongols, you could probably get some shooting in. I mean, you've got a 12-inch range, and you have some composite that shoots six. So now you've got a, a threat range of 18 inches for you know for those uh, mounted hearth guard. Um, terrain. If you're very foot heavy and your build counts on movement, you know maybe you need to use the terrain to kind of muddy up the field and make it uncomfortable for uh, for you being able to do your like sweep out and sweep back. Um, that's another option. Um, yeah, those are those are the quick ones, you know. And I'm and I mean, you know, this this happened to me like especially in version one when I was a rookie. Um, my buddy and I like we played for fun, like like everyone, but we would play the same matchup, um, Clash of Warlords. We played with the same two armies, and we played over and over and over again. And back in version one when we were starting, he loved the Irish, and I would play not Irish. <laughs> and I would lose, 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 and I would lose. So the secret really is to change up the scenario, seriously. If you change mm -hmm. up the scenario, and, and maybe even Mike, I mean, we kind of do this informally, my buddies and I. If you get on a streak and you just can't seem to nip out a win, we, we do this just as a matter of kind of courtesy. I'll just say, hey, you pick the scenario. You, you bring your army out. And um, you, you know, you choose whether you're player one or player two. That's kind of powerful. You're giving them just a couple things to kind of mm -hmm. help bend it back, bend back the narrative just a little bit, because really it is all about just having fun. And um, and so that's something we do when when you know when when your luck spirals and you can't seem to nip out a win, you know, we just kind of throw that out back and forth as a courtesy, just a little something to change things up. Oh, that's a great idea. And yeah, I I guess that. Uh, I haven't really had somebody like refuse to play them or anything like right. that or, 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 you know, so, but I, I really like that idea too. You said about using your own javelin armed cav to be the one, whether warriors or whatever, to chase them down and charge them, not just shoot them. Uh, and that, which is exactly the reason I use the hearth guard because one for one is way better than, you know, half for one when it comes to shooting, but you're going to use them to shoot or mean to charge so that's that is going to be devastating because six dice at plus one and i can't afford to lose these guys mm -hmm. um that, that is a good magic missile as you said to uh to take them down and it could be an eight-man unit could be exactly. you know a couple eight-man units going out there charging them and that is actually num my number one target if i if i see them because i did play the baltic crusaders i've actually played them a couple times recently and one of them he had his eight-man unit of mounted sergeants, the mounted warriors sitting there, and even advance them out on the first turn. I'm like, oh, come to Papa. <laughs> you know, that is that is who I want to shoot, you know, yes. more than anything else. But, yeah, you're right. That's It's deadly for me for them charging, too. I hadn't 
hadn't really considered that as an enemy because I guess I hadn't really played somebody that had a lot of those troops. Um, interesting thing. Interesting thing on the uh, on the plus one for charge. I would have to say that that rule is the one I forget more often than not is to add my plus one when charging with javelins. So much so that I have a I painted up a figure of a guy transfixed by a javelin. And I put him on my stack of dice that I have to grab to use to roll to attack. And, you know, I have to see him. I have to actually physically move him off of my dice to be able to roll the dice. So, so I'll immediately throw him out. To, I'll, put him, I'll put that little transfixed guy right where I'm going to roll my dice once I, once I charge to remember that. Um, that's, that, that's awesome. And, and, dude, I rely on little visual cues, too. We have, like, someone... Someone 3D printed like a little shield with two little boxes and the boxes hold an average six sided die. And so when we go to melee, right, especially like if, you know, maybe you stayed up late the night before, or maybe you're playing more than one game. We put that out near the two fighting guys and then we just put a die in there and we say, okay, your armor starting is a five, my armor's a four, uh, you have a happy weapon. So then I drop a little thing that shows plus one next to it. And then we kind of do our things. And then, and then we all look at it, we say, okay, so you're hitting me now on, you know, just so that like it's locked in, it's clear to both sides, and um, <laughs> I don't know. I just I I like these little visual cues. I do the same thing for a little button to remember that you know when did I spend my we obey? You know, I mean I'm saying it out loud, but a buddy might say, "Wait, was that your we obey?" So just make it very clear. I pick up the token next to my warlord and I say, "Okay, I'm I'm using my we obey," and then push it off to the side, and then now I'm using my determination. Pick up the button and take it away. It just those little bits they're both colorful and they're and they're helpful for me yeah i've thought about it too but i haven't come up with something good to something good in 3d and visual any ideas on what uh what you could do for a 3d thing to stick next to your warlord i mean i think it would be really useful for beginning players who forget their we obey who forget right. their determination right what would you do for that i mean what, what would be because you're you know as we all know you're a heck of a painter and a modeler and everything so <laughs> any ideas for that you know, right now I've just gone for simplicity. A buddy of mine um, printed some nice little, there's like a kind of dark age graphic with the words white, you know, in white, we obey the words in white determination. But you could do a 3D thing and you just have to think about it, like, you know, for from a creative angle. Um, and I just like for now, they just, the, mine are functional, but not like something that would be hot, you know, maybe hot sellers. But yeah, that's interesting. What What, what would be useful? I like that. Yeah, maybe like a, a little flag or a banner, you know, and you stick it next to the unit for the for if they use the we obey. Right. And I don't know, I'm still thinking for determination. But I do have an idea for those ones like fine chinks in your armor. I probably right. would say that there have been times in all the games of saga being played that somebody did not re-roll their sixes. You know that they were supposed to reroll. Yeah. You know yeah. because you forget about those things. You, you look, do. your eyes get really big. Look at all the hits I got. Yeah. You know. Um, so what I was thinking, and I don't know if anybody makes a figure, if you could get a warrior type figure who has his hands out in front of him, like cupped, like, you know, give me some money or something like that, that you could fit a little dice in there. That would be just the coolest thing to sit right in there. And if it's, you got to reroll your sixes, put it, you know, put the dice face to six. Yeah. If it's something where you reroll your ones, which I've forgotten that too on inspiration, I forgot to reroll my ones where I missed, you know, you know, you could turn it up to the ones and that guy can be sitting there right next to the transfixed javelin guy as kind of the visual cues, as you said, visual reminders 
um, so you don't forget those things. That's that's brilliant. And you know, I haven't done it with this force, but in the past I have done things that are themey. Um, back there was a time when I ran Eastern Princes in version one, and I painted up some wolves on little uh, 25 millimeter round bases. And I would just put them down on abilities that were up and active, just to like you know reminder myself, reminder to my to my opponent, this is up and it's effective, you know, for this amount of time. Yeah. So anything you can do to help, you know, I don't know. It's it's a very visual. It's a very visual thing. I have a little um, LED um, like flickering candlelight that a buddy of mine made into a like a fire, like a roaring fire, and I put that out next to the turn marker. And you you'd be surprised playing in a public space how many people stop and ask about the flickering light of all the things right right <laughs> they, they do ask about the troops sometimes but a lot of times they're like oh the fireplace how did you do that it's like okay well you know but i mean it's that's it you're making a visual display you're pulling people's interest in who otherwise maybe don't play saga or even know what tabletop gaming is so yeah those those kind of things are awesome yeah, and actually, I don't know, if you, I'm sure you have because you've been playing along with me, but the, the Mongols have an ability which allows them to burn down terrain, which I think is just yes. hilarious. Yes. So you can bet I'll be making something like that for, uh, you know, not that probably my opponents, once I do it to them once, will probably all be placing a rocky ground and ruins <laughs> instead and say, you burn this, you know, exactly. Genghis, you know, but uh so I'm definitely going to have some of those for for when I start playing Mongols. Of course, that would that would require me to start start painting them up. And my Carolingians are two thirds of the way there, so it right. it'll happen. It'll get yeah. it'll be started on this summer. So awesome, awesome, but, Mike. But speaking of which, what what do you got what what do you got on the painting table? What's next? Uh, what do you what are you going to do next here? Right. So um, I. A few weekends ago, I did an open gaming demo day for Saga, and it's a little early. It's a little early, um, but we did have a couple people sit at the table. There were a couple people I walked through, like a couple turns. Uh, there were people that talked about the game and stopped and you know asked, and and the owner did too, which was kind of interesting. The owner asked about stocking Saga, so so well, even though nice. it was kind of a yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, that would be nice. I'm trying to get our, our stores to stock it, too. But go ahead. Okay. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so anyways, I mean, I count it as a success. But um, but what it reminded me was that I thought, you know, I looked at my collection and I'm like, I really, I really want to see. Like, I just don't know till everyone, you know, we, we kind of see who all comes out beyond who we have so far. So I really want to try to grow our little group. Um, and I look at the, like, the success you guys have, and, and I want to catch some of that lightning too. So I decided that I needed a traveling loner demo army, something that you know people pick it up and clunk it, drop a figure. You know, my Victrix Vikings, they're likely to kind of break uh, the swords and spears on those things. So um, I bought some Gripping Beast um, Pagan Roos. And these are these are very I, I like them. They're very colorful. They're Bill Thornhill sculpts, and I have finished um, a point of levy yesterday. I've got a point of warriors, and uh, I've got some shield maidens that I painted. So actually, uh, if I paint twelve Hearthguard and my warlord, I have a fieldable force. But I plan to paint a lot more than that. But that's you know mostly my goal is just get these guys ready for the tabletop, and in late June maybe even July, do another demo day and have these guys out here and, you know, for people to kind of like, you know, how does this work? You know, what, what, what is, what is this thing you're doing here? And let them sit down and, and they're going to be my, they'll be my traveling war band. 
And plus, they should be fun. I haven't played them in forever. Yeah, and I think Viking Armies are an awesome learner learner game. And I know that you and uh, Raj talked about that uh, one of your previous episodes on what is what's the greatest demo thing. And and I agree with the mirror image matchup like you're talking about. So you know, we have a number of regular Viking players. So I like to say, hey, here's a new player. Do you mind teaching them the game? Uh, I'm going to give them one of my two loner Viking armies. I have one, technically, one's Anglo-Danes, but it can easily be Vikings, as we know. And I, I, th I think that's a great idea to give them, give them something, and they see the battle board being played on the, you know, across from them. They go, ooh, that's how you use Odin. Okay, so I'm going to use, I'm going to cue that up next time for when you shoot me. So yeah, great. That's that's awesome. So um, it is now officially summer. Uh, my last day of school was Friday. So uh, if I were to uh, come up to the Twin Cities area. When is a good time for me to make it up your guys' way and get in a game of Saga with the Saga Storm crew? Right. Well, so I would make that a pretty big announcement up on our webpage. I would say, like, what maps, you know, what, what, what fits in your schedule? Because that is a little bit of a trip. Um, but if, if you want to kind of like, um, you know, and again, I mean, it's, you know, it's your trip and it's, you know, everything else. But if you want to give me a little heads up, I could even set it up two, three, four weeks ahead of time and kind of bake it in. And uh, I know like some of our regulars would come out and people just love, like it's just, it's just fun to meet up with other people uh, who play Saga in other places and just throw some dice, buy you a beer, because this particular club has a grill and also beer on tap, which is pretty Oh awesome. my gosh, That's, that sounds like a Valhalla to me there. <laughs> <laughs> it may so, affect your board play a little bit, but it's yeah. worth it. Oh yeah, that's in our Sunday night group. You know, we've, we generally have beers to go along with our gaming, those of us who drink and... Uh, so you've talked about going to a more scheduled thing. Do you have that already nailed down, like first and third or second and fourth Sundays, or, or are you still I, kind of still in the I, planning? I don't. Like the one tricky thing here, right, and it's probably kind of similar. You're, you, you know, you're up in the Midwest, but here in Minnesota, our summers are so short. So the first mm -hmm. thing I'm going to need to do is go down and talk to my wife and say, now you said – um, we were going to the North Shore. When are we going to the North Shore? And like, yeah. you know, my son is flying into town. And when is he flying in? And just kind of calendar it and then work around those dates. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. And you know what? I mean, we have more than one person who, who leads in our group. So if I'm out for one, but I would want to be around. That's my whole Oh, thing. yeah. I would, like, I wouldn't I would come up. I would want to be around. Exactly. Yeah, I wouldn't That's come up if you weren't going to be there. Uh, so, well, and the other thing that, to throw in there, too, that I may not have mentioned to you before is I'm a retired airline employee, so I oh, can wow. hop on a plane for free and get up there. Oh, Question, of course, awesome. there has to be open seats, but still, you know, yep. in the post-pandemic days, uh, I'm hoping that there will still be open seats on these planes. But uh, right. that would be the initial way, and I could just bring my moors along in their little box that I have as a carry-on. And, uh, you know, I could go there and be taught how to uh, be taught some discipline and some lessons by the veteran masters of Saga Storm. <laughs> well, I will tell you, there are some major Crusades uh, players that would be very happy, seriously. Just, it's, you know, um, the Age of Vikings is number one, like, overall. Um, but it is nice to get out there. I, I really do. I've, I've enjoyed the, the Baltic Crusaders and I, uh, you know, kind of eyeing like what I could do next. 
um, really impressed with the Byzantines, the Eastern princes. Uh, the pagan peoples are beastly. Haven't mm -hmm. seen the Mongols in a long time. Oh, oh, and just a sidebar, like I, I, I should say my, um, my uh, Moors Matatawiya combo, my, my Arab uh, warband. Oh, the, the Matatawiya are so much fun in the Age of Crusades because they're so asymmetrical. And even I, as I set my board, I'm not sure what I'm going to do and when I'm going to play it. <laughs> That's how weird that board is. And I look at it and like my buddy does something and I have to very quickly think, does this make sense? No, it does not. Move on to the next thing. So it's a yeah, great Yeah, uh, it, it is. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to trying the Mongols out too. Um, so that that's going to be my next after the Carolingians. That's my next army. So, yeah, it's there's a lot of stuff that you don't see regularly. I mean, I've never seen anybody play Polish. I've never, you know, no one local here plays the Spanish. Uh, the the yeah. Age of Crusades is kind of probably what your Age of Hannibal is up there. You know, we're we're just starting to get into it. We've got somebody who's painting up Militus Christi. We've got, you know, my Mongols queued up, and so yeah, okay, well. Um, that would be fun. I, that, I definitely will try to uh, make it up there. I, I don't think I don't think there's any reason why I wouldn't be able to with right. you know, two months off for summer. And awesome. um, so I'll stay in touch on what what weekends would be good weekends, and I'll plan on being up there uh, on a sun, some Sunday and give you as much advance notice as possible. If that Fantastic. sounds good to you, that sounds awesome. All right. Awesome. Well, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to to uh, let me steal you away for, for, for a few hours from Raj uh, <laughs> on Saga Thursday. Uh, uh, Raj is going to, I'm going to be emailing him to try to get, get, get a conversation with him again sometime too, or Excellent. sometime. Uh, so yeah. I am a big fan and I'm looking forward to that uh, next episode you guys put out. So um, yeah, yeah well, it's been it's, great. It is. It's, I'm, I'm, I really love this. I thank you for the opportunity to talk. I love talking saga. I love hearing how other people, uh, you know, play and you know what they think. And it's just, it's just a really fun space. And it's it's been a, a great uh, talk here, Mike. Okay. All right. Well, hey, have a great rest of your uh, rest of your Sunday. And uh, I hope to see you not too many Sundays from now. That's going to be most exciting. Mm -hmm.